Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know what to believe. Rather than believing something, being taught something, and then trying to go to the Scriptures to back up what I believe. And this does happen a lot, and that's why it's important for us to put Scripture on a priority and to make sure that we are finding how do God wants to be worshiped through the scriptures, how we are to live our lives daily, how do we are to endeavor to please God through what the scriptures say. Our desire is to give you the best question, the best answer to your question that we possibly can. Our first question comes from one that was left on a video on YouTube, on our YouTube channel from Jari uh, that uh, to ask the question about pleading the blood. And uh, Jari's here now. So good to see you, Jari. Uh, pleading the blood, um, pleading the blood, not bleeding the blood. Oh, what is that? Does it say bleeding the blood on our, that's really funny. So it says bleeding the blood on our, uh, well, we'll change that thumbnail, Jari, all right? So Keith, if uh, you're listening to this, if we can get that thumbnail changed to pleading the blood, Jari is absolutely correct, not bleeding the blood. I'll take responsibility for that when I sent over to Keith, but it is indeed pleading the blood. So uh, Jari did have a question uh, that he left on our YouTube channel about pleading the blood, which is a practice that Pentecostal and charismatic churches do. Uh, I had exposure to charismatic and good solid, what I would consider to be solid churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, from the time that I was 16 until the time that I was 21. It doesn't mean that they didn't have practices that weren't right in them, uh, because they did, and I think probably every church has something that is not correct in it, some churches more than others. Uh, the as far as we can tell, searching back to when pleading of the blood started, it started in the Azusa Street Revival. So back in the early 1900s in California, there was this revival, and there was one uh, pastor by the name of William J. Seymour. And William J. Seymour began to plead the blood over people. And it was reported that there were a lot of miracles that took place, that people got saved, when he would, uh, that, that uh, people would get healed, uh, they would have financial miracles, other things. And so people came from all around the, the really the world uh, for William Seymour to plead the blood over them. Uh, when I was in the Pentecostal churches, my experience with pleading the blood went something like this. They would lay their hands on you to pray for you, and then they would say, I plead the blood over your finances. I plead the blood over your home. I plead the blood over your family. I plead the blood over the lust uh, or temptation in your life. I plead the blood of Christ. So they would go over different things that they would be pleading the blood over. Uh, someone might come in and have a certain struggle or a family member that is sick. And so then they would sit down, and they would plead the blood over the struggle or plead the blood over the family member. Sometimes it would turn into a kind of a chant. We plead the blood, we plead the blood, we plead the blood, we lay hands on people. Someone would start chanting, and, and for as long as, I don't know, we felt like it was necessary to plead the blood, then we were doing so. Now, we it, believing that there was some power in this statement to be able to, to 
deliver people from demonic forces, to deliver them from uh, the enemy being able to get a hold of their finances. We would justify it by the passage, uh, a couple of different passages. One of us that tells us that Jesus, by dying on the cross, made an open spectacle of the enemy. So the blood of the cross and pleading it made an open spectacle of him, really defeated him. And the other passages in Revelation, I think it's 12, 11, that says they overcame him by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. And so we turned pleading the blood into the power of the blood out of Revelation 12, 11. Now here's the thing, it's not biblical. There's nothing, there's nowhere in the Bible where anybody pleads the blood over anyone. We would go back to the Old Testament and say, <clears throat> there uh, you have the Passover lamb, you have the pleading of the blood of the Passover lamb, or, or you have the application, <clears throat> excuse me, of the blood of the Passover lamb. You have the application in all of the sacrifices. So all we're doing is pleading the blood in someone's life and applying the blood of Jesus there. The question is, can I apply the blood of Jesus by pleading the blood when the Bible never says to do it? and I don't believe we can. And I find it interesting that the, the Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, will criticize Catholic churches for doing things like rosary beads. They believe that as they're praying their prayer and pushing over a bead, that they're, they're keeping account and they've got these repetitive prayers that they pray. But the Pentecostal charismatic churches will do something very similar in that they'll, they'll plead the blood over people. Jesus said, when you pray, don't use many words like the heathens do. Don't just pray to be heard. Don't just say the same thing over and over again. And here you've got something that is unbiblical and they believe it's doing something. So they say it over and over again. They'll criticize the Catholic church for praying the rosary or for praying to Mary or for praying to saints, all things which are unbiblical. But when you sit down and talk to a Catholic, someone who knows what they're talking about, they'll give you defenses for why they do that. They'll give you passages for why they do that. Well, that same kind of thing happens in the charismatic Pentecostal realm because they're looking for, for new revelation. They're looking for things that are out of, well, not they're out of the realm of what the Bible says. Today, you've got soul sucking, which is laying on graves to be able to get the anointing of the person that have died. So they'll travel <clears throat> to a, a famous Christian's grave and lay on it and believe that they're gaining the power of that person by laying on the grave. Uh, they believe in soul ties, that they gotta go back into their lives and they've gotta break every relationship tie that they've ever had because they had a soul tie. And so they gotta go through and break it. Uh, all of these are unbiblical. And this is why when you begin to, to, to move away from the realm of what the Bible says in the direction that it gives us on how God is supposed to be worshiped and how we are to live for him. In other words, if, if someone comes to me and says, I'm really struggling with sexual temptation and I, I, I don't know what to do, it's strong. I've got a strong desire, it's a stronghold in my life, what do I do? If I say to them, well, I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna plead the blood over you. Now I'm doing something that is not biblical and I'm replacing the very biblical things the Bible says to do, which would be to say, listen, you've got to walk in the spirit to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you've got to set your mind on the things of God and not on the things of this world. You've got to, you've got to flee temptation like Joseph who ran out and began to talk about the things that need to happen in their lives to overcome that stronghold. 
we are pleading the blood or casting demons out of them or, or demanding the devil leave them alone are things that are not biblical. It would be much better if we instead go to the scriptures and find the things that are biblical. I'm not saying that Pentecostal churches are bad. Not all Pentecostal churches do this. I'm not saying that. Some of them are very good. Some charismatic churches are very good churches. They just have a tendency to believe in uh, modern day revelation. We believe in revelation from the Bible, but modern day revelation, that God's gonna give me a revelation of something new and they go down new pathways. And this leads them, this, um, this has happened recently to Bethel, who has begun to become more new age because they are not guarded by the Bible. They believe that they themselves can't be deceived. God's not gonna let them be deceived. So they can go wherever they wanna go and they end up believing things and practicing things that are not right. Whether you are a Pentecostal church, a Calvary Chapel, a Baptist church, uh, a non-denominational church, whatever it is, you have to make sure that our foundation is what the Word of God says and not one of these other things that somebody has an experience on, like, like William J. Seymour back in the Azusa Street Revival, and then having it make its way through the church when it is unbiblical. And it is interesting that we can see unbiblical things done by a group of people that we aren't associated with and go, how can they do that? How can they, you know, how, how can they um, call, call someone reverend when Jesus said, you know, don't, don't do such things, or call someone father when Jesus said, don't do it, but we'll do the very same kind of things and not recognize it at our own end. So we want to, in the end, be biblical. If we are Pentecostal, we want to be biblical. If you're going to get a revelation from God, you've got to find it. And instead of getting a revelation from God and finding the scriptures, it'd be better to find it in the scriptures. But if you are going to get a revelation from God, then you've got to be able to find it in the scriptures in order to, 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 to really begin carrying that thing out. <clears throat> Last week we talked, and this is what brought this question on, we had talked about being slain in the spirit whether or not God can knock down people. And our, our, our answer to that is, look, if God wants to knock down one of his Christians, he can do it. But we don't want to incorporate it into our worship because it's not biblical. You have people who fall down before God and, and worship him and praise him and in visions or fall down and tremble when they have some kind of supernatural experience uh, with God. But you don't see being slain in the spirit, somebody walking up, praying for them, knocking them down like you see in these churches. So these are unbiblical things that we can recognize clearly when we see another denomination doing it, like the Catholic Church, but we don't recognize it when we see, we see it in our own. And it is interesting as well that the Catholic Church was really open to the charismatic movement. Back in the 70s, there was the charismatic Catholic movement. Uh, because they were so used to traditions. This was a tradition that we do. It's not biblical, but it's traditional. And that's exactly what charismatic and Pentecostal churches will connect to. It's a lot of tradition instead of being biblical. And I would say, for those of you who are listening that are involved in a Pentecostal church, make sure what you believe is biblical and what you're doing is biblical. There's a lot of good things about the desire for God to move, um, the Holy Spirit moving in people's life, walking in the Spirit, step-by-step uh, step in the Spirit. There's a lot of good things within the Pentecostal church. Just make sure that it's biblical. And if you're watching this and you're a pastor, I'm, I'm not wanting to be critical for being critical's sake, but my desire is that uh, some may hear this and go, you know what? We do need to reject the things that are unbiblical. 
That's what the Reformation was all about, rejecting the things within the Roman Catholic Church that were unbiblical. And there needs to be a rejection of those things today. All right, thank you, Jari, for that. I'm glad you pointed out to me it's not bleeding the blood, but it's pleading the blood. Uh, we will be changing our thumbnail uh, to this uh, video. All right, that's really funny that I, I put bleeding the blood. I, I mean, oh well. All right, so we have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Fact Check These Hands, good to see you. Uh, says regarding the rapture, uh, how do mid and post trip folks explain the uh, norm? normalcy spoken of in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. Do they believe life is relatively normal during the tribulation? <clears throat> if so, why? All right, so why, why do mid and post trip people explain, um, how do they explain the normalcy spoken of in Matthew 24, 37? Let's, so let's go there. Uh, I, I know the passage that you're talking about, fact check these hands. So let's go and we'll put it up on the screen. We'll read it and we will talk about it some. So this is Matthew uh, 24, 37 through 39. 37 through 39. All right, so we may even, we'll go back one verse, 36, all right? So I'm gonna go ahead and put this up on the screen for you and we will we'll talk about it. So Jesus says in Matthew 24, but of that day and that hour, no one knows even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of, okay, this is going to go on. <clears throat> so we'll start off by saying no one knows. And when, when he says the, knows the day or the hour, that's an idiom meaning no one knows the time. No one knows the week. No one knows the month. No one knows the year. Now we can see the signs of our times and know we're getting closer. Israel's back in the land. The Jews have returned to Jerusalem. These are signs of our times. Euphrates River is drying up. China is a strong power that is, is, is becoming very aggressive. All of these are signs of the times, but we don't know. This may be a birth pain. The birth pain may back away and we may go another 50 or 60 years, maybe even longer before we have another birth pain that ushers in the end of the age. These birth pains are just reminders that the end is coming and we put our focus on him. So then he says, but as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the son of man. For as the days of the, uh, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah went into the ark and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So that's the idea. And this is what Fact Check These Hands is saying, that there's just life's going on with nor normal. If you are in the, the middle of the tribulation period or the pre-wrath position, which is sometime after the middle of the tribulation period, you have a lot of horrible things that are going on. You've already had the four horsemen ride forth. You've had cosmic disturbances. Uh, you have had major earthquakes. You have had, you've had all kinds of horrible things that have happened. And life is not going to be going on as normal as it was during the days. And, and it says, and they didn't know until the flood took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, another left. Now they'll argue that the one who was taken is the one who was evil, and the one who was left is the one who was good. I will argue against that. I realize that there are some scholars, Warren Mearsby used to teach this, Warren Mearsby believed in the rapture, but he used to teach that this is the evil people that are being taken. I'm not even quite sure how that works, but when you go that, that this is, and here's how, what they'll say, Matthew 24 was written to Jewish people. And so this is talking to Jewish people and you don't find the rapture in Matthew 24. That's the statement. However, 
in Luke 17, you find him saying these things, not just to Jewish people, but to everyone in general. And he says something very similar to this. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other will left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know that, the, know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. So if we knew the hour, we would make sure that we were ready at that hour. But since we don't know the hour, we've got to be ready all of the time. And this is the any moment return of Christ, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And if you are mid pre-wrath or post-trib, then you don't believe in the, the you don't believe it's imminent. You, we, we're moving on, we're moving towards it. It is until the Antichrist. If you are any of those positions, you are looking for the Antichrist, you're not looking for Christ. And that's a problem because we are supposed to look up. When you see these things begin to happen, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. We're supposed to be looking for Christ. You're looking for the revelation of who the Antichrist is, and that is, very, to me, very unbiblical. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect him. The hour there is, again, an idiom. It's not that, you know, we can, we, you know, we don't know the hour, but we know the day, yeah, that, that kind of, that's, that's very problematic, all right? So uh, your question, fact check these hands, and let's come back to uh, your question here. So your question is, um, how do they explain it, right? Um, so how do the um, post-trib folks, that, how do the mid and post-trib folks explain the normalcy spoken of in Matthew 27? Do, do they believe life is relatively normal during the tribulation? If so, why? So I can't speak to that. Fact check these hands. I've never asked one of them what they think about that or how they would justify that or, or how that passage would be would be dealt with in their particular eschatology. So I'm not quite sure what they would do with it. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, I'm quite sure they'll, you know, they'll deal with it. I'm quite sure they'll, they have something that they would say about it. But remember, again, people defend all positions, all positions, even wrong ones, have people defending them. And so just because someone defends it doesn't mean that there's validity in what they're saying. You can look at it, you can look at their defense and you can go, eh, I don't think it makes any sense. And I don't know how you could say anything that would make it like it's normal. Uh, in Luke 17, Jesus goes on to say, it will be as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and marrying, given in marriage until the day Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah and then destruction came. So some people will try to use um, the children of Israel in Egypt as a, as a place where they experienced the wrath of God and then they were, were delivered after that. Uh, however, it's much different. They were in slavery and they were in bondage. We are not in slavery. We are not in bondage. We are, we are Christ. We belong to him. And they were protected from certain parts of the plagues. Some of them happened where in Goshen, some of them did not happen. So God did protect them. But that's not, the children of Israel in Egypt is never an example for the return of Christ. Noah is and Lot is, and both of those were taken out before the destruction came into those cities. And they are examples to us. All right, so um, good insight, fact check these hands. And uh, any time you can get me uh, talking about the, uh, the rapture. I end up taking a long time on them. Hello, long story. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Uh, we have a question from John P. 
John P. says, uh, welcome back. Thank you. I was in Mexico for uh, the last week. We did some fishing at a lake down there. Uh, did very good. Um, but my, uh, we got, somebody crossed the line and we got into a, a wreck on our way home. And we had to spend five hours uh, in, <clears throat> just on the side of the road, outside of Aramacio. And um, the, uh, I got sunburned in it. I don't know if you can tell that or not. I got some uh, tinted sunscreen on to cover up my sunscreen. Um, but it was a good trip, except that my po my boat took a hit. Um, I have a boat that I got back in 2004, and um, it it flew off the trailer. It actually flew off the trailer and flew into uh, the lane beside it. I'll, um, I'll post a picture for you guys at some point so you can see what happened to my boat. But it was very, very sad to stand on the side of the road. L literally, it would, the, the truck hit my boat, slammed it against the rail, and the boat flew over the rail. So the boat was supposed to float, was on a trailer riding, and then flew over the, the railing. So there's something to it there. So thank you. Good to be back. It says, in the past, I have received comfort and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. I am no longer getting any response to my pleadings. I don't understand to, um, I don't understand to be continued. Okay. Um, so then we got another one here from John P. So in the past, you have received, what was it you said? Comfort and wisdom from the Holy Spirit, but you're no longer getting a response. Uh, and then uh, you say, I have heard in my spirit heart that healing is not just, is not for me. Why can't I receive comfort anymore? All right, John, thank you for sharing um, feelings nothing more than feelings, are not what we are to live for. And God is the God of comfort, to be sure. But God also tests us. The Bible says back in the book of Genesis that God tested Abraham and told him to take his son, his only son, and to sacrifice him on the mountain that he would show him. Now, we learned later on that this was a type of the father giving his son to be sacrificed on that same mountain. But God was testing Abraham. And you can be sure that during that test, Abraham didn't feel comfort, didn't feel anything from God. And so sometimes if the comfort that we've been feeling or if, the, if, if whatever, whatever we've been experiencing changes, we can somehow at times think it changes instead of putting our trust in what the Word of God says, that God loves you, that God hears you, that Jesus is interceding for you, that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you through you because you don't know what you ought to pray, believing what the Scriptures say, even though you don't feel like it's true. That's faith. Now, it's always good when you come out of the desert. The children of Israel struggled because they were delivered from Israel and they didn't go into the promised land. They went into a wilderness. And for us as Christians, sometimes, John, we go into a wilderness experience. I've been a Christian for a lot of decades, and I can tell you that there have been wilderness experiences in my life, and I no longer put stock in any feelings. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not hyper-focused on my feelings. 
I'm, I want to be, I'm hyper-focused on God and doing what the scriptures say, loving God, loving people. That's what I'm supposed to do. Thinking on whatever's good, whatever's holy, whatever's pure, delighting myself in the Lord, walking in the spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Those are the things that I'm doing instead of wondering about how do I feel right now? When we get too introspective, it can be problematic. We're looking at us. Uh, Keith Green had a great line in a song, and I wish I could remember what song it was. Um, I think it was, I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, no white lies, no spoken prayers, no no um, no compromise. Uh, but, but a line in the song says, it's hard for me to see when my eyes are focused on me. So imagine going, running down the road, high speed, having to be efficient, but staring at yourself while you're doing it. How do I look? You know, how do my shorts look? How do my tennis shoes look? And you're looking at yourself the whole time. It's going to be hard to be effective at doing any work you're doing. That could be said of any sport. It could be said of any job. If your eyes are focused on you, then you're going to have, there's going to be problems. It's problematic. But when your eyes are focused on Jesus, when Peter looked at Jesus, he walked on water. But when he looked at the wind and the waves, he fell into the waves. And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Because when we don't feel the comfort or we don't feel the wisdom, like you say, of the Holy Spirit, then it's a test for us to say, am I doing these things because I feel that way? Or am I doing these things because I trust God, because I love God, because I believe in him? I'm not downplaying the test that you're in, John. I, I mean, yeah, John, I, I realize that it's tough, but also would encourage you to knuckle down, to go, you know what? I'm serving God. I'm following him. This isn't about me. It's about him and it's about his glory. And it's about me doing things to his glory. So I'm going to move forward despite what I'm feeling like, despite what I'm going through. All right. Um, I would also encourage you, John, to go and sit down and talk with one of your pastors uh, or a or a biblical counselor or even a mentor that you know that is mature in the Lord and let them ask you some questions about what exactly you're feeling. What is this lack of comfort? What is it? Is it a depression? Is it, what is it, anxiety? Uh, what is, what exactly are you feeling that's bringing you a lack of comfort? And then wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. So the first wisdom that we gain is from the scriptures and it will give us direction on how we're supposed to live. There's no scenario that you can give me that the Bible doesn't give us God's will and how we should live in that scenario. You might think it's not true, but it's true. The Bible t- doesn't tell us what car to drive, but it tells us how to live in that car. The Bible doesn't tell us what person to marry, but it tells us how to live in our marriage. The Bible doesn't tell us what job to take, but it tells us how we're supposed to live and interact with the employees or employers uh, that you have. And so you're gonna be able to get wisdom from them. So I would suggest if that you would sit down and talk to someone about the feelings that you're having, the lack of comfort that you're having, but I would not let that affect your walk with Christ. That is not, that has no sign. Maybe God's just testing you. Maybe God's just taking you through a test right now. 
And this is a good question for all of us to contemplate and consider and say, am I only going to follow God when I feel good, when he makes me feel good or comfortable, or am I going to follow him no matter what? Imagine all of the saints that have been arrested for being Christians or killed or are starved or tormented or tortured for their faith and how they felt during that time may have been bad, but they were living for God. All right. So, um, I really suggest John that you would sit down and talk to somebody about it, about the way that you're feeling unless, you know, I hit it right on the nose and you go, you know what, this is it. I need to stop worrying about whether or not I'm comfortable and start worrying about whether or not I'm doing the things to give God glory and to live for the glory of God, to, to recenter my focus off of myself and on the things of God. All right. Hopefully that's helpful. John, I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Jari. Jari says, is heaven up? Could heaven be another planet and he'll be the center of the, and hell be the center of the earth? God's presence located when we die. I'm confused. Thanks. Um, thanks. Uh, let's see. Is this analogy? I will meet you in the air. Well, I don't know if it's analogy, right? We're talking about the rapture of the church. I'll meet you in the air. Uh, so Jari, the, the, the ultimate answer to these, all these questions is we don't know, right? Um, the Bible talks about Jesus descending, talks about, about enemies kept in chains, talks about a bottomless pit. Uh, so it seems that the Bible talks about thing that hell or Hades or the grave um, and the holding place that Jesus talked about in his story about the rich man and Lazarus <clears throat> being in the center of the earth and then heaven being up. Yeah, I went up into the third heavens. I went up into the third heavens. Is heaven a different realm that, that exists alongside of the physical realm that doors open and shut really easy? Is the spiritual realm right next to, we're part of the spiritual realm. So are we walking around in the spiritual realm? We just can't see it. And this, the, the beings in the spiritual realm can interact with us. Um, the Bible does talk about the morning star, Jesus being the morning star that would rise in our hearts, about Satan wanting to be like the morning star. So I, I would say in general, it would seem like heaven is up and hell is down. That's at least how the scripture portrays it. Are these things analogies to, to, to just help us understand that up is heaven and down is hell? We want to go up. We don't want to go down. Um, and, and the answer is we don't really know all of those things, Jari. All right, but I do appreciate that. Um, let's see if I can figure this out, Jari. So Jari has a follow-up question. Someone said it's, it's the Holy Spirit. He can, I'm gonna take it that you're saying revise something to be outside of scripture. <clears throat> going to Pentecostal churches. Uh, no, the, the Holy Spirit won't. Why? Uh, because the Bible says in, in um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing, for all, to, to walk in every the good works that God's called us to walk in. So when that was said, Everything had been given and all scripture is inspired by God and the canon was closed <clears throat> and we are not receiving more scripture today. 
And so scripture holds a place above any revelation and the Holy Spirit's not going to change things. And this is the dangerous mindset. If I'm reading your question right there, Jari, um, and if you're, you know, you guys are asking questions, reread them a couple of times. Make sure they say what you want them to say before you submit them. It really helps. You'll reread them and go, oh, I made some mistakes, like bleeding the blood instead of pleading the blood, all right? So just reread it that way. I'm not answering a question that you're not asking, which may be the case here, Jari, if I'm not understanding your question correctly, because there's a couple of things in it that I just have to assume. Um, but this is the danger when, when you believe in, in new revelation, that the Holy Spirit has the power to revive, to, to change things, to update things, that he can change the, no, he can't, he's not going to. Uh, Paul said, if anybody comes to you teaching you anything different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. So th there's, there's nothing, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And we need to stay away from it. And this is happening more and more in churches like Bethel, where you're seeing these things happen, which are extremely dangerous. And this is something that if it's happening in Pentecostal churches, and I'm not saying it's happening in all of them, it needs to be, you need to stay away from that, all right? So just know the Holy Spirit cannot revise scripture. <laughs> he wrote it, but he gave us the truth. And it, uh, um, not one jot or tittle will go away until it is completed. And it will go out to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. So you, you just, just imagine that if my authority now is revelation that I have, that the Holy Spirit revised what the scriptures say. He can give me more than, the, than what the Bible says. Imagine what I could come up with and how are we gonna know what's true or not if we don't have the scriptures to be able to put up against it. So we put everything against the scriptures and we believe that we've gotten everything from what the Bible, from what the Bible says. All right, Jari, so we're, we're going back to the whole pleading the blood thing. Could the Holy Spirit revise things and give us plead the blood, even though it's not in the book of Acts, which is the foundation for the church? Can, can the Holy Spirit revise it? No, the Holy Spirit will not do that. The scriptures are clear that we have the complete word of God and that there, there's nothing being added to it. And that means special revelation has to go along with scripture. If God reveals something to me, which I believe that he could do, if God reveals something to me, then it's got to go along with scripture. If it doesn't, then how do I know it's true? And something like slain in the spirit or pleading the blood uh, or you know some of these other practices, um, breaking soul ties or soul sucking, just all of those things, I would not want to bring into our church for worship in any way, shape, or form because they're non-biblical. The same as many of the Catholic things are non-biblical. And the Catholic would say the same thing. God's revised it. What do you think that the, um, the Catholic says when Jesus says, don't call anybody on earth father, but then they call a priest father. But Jesus said, don't do that. Well, how do they justify it? because they've been given traditions and they believe their traditions are on par with scripture. So if you believe that your special revelation is on par with scripture, you got problems. You're, you're, you're just like the struggles that the Catholic church has gone through. And I'm not saying that there aren't those in the Catholic church that aren't real Christians, because there are just like 
in the Pentecostal church there are real Christians. But the same thing is happening in that you're putting special revelation up on par with scripture or close to it, like the Catholics put tradition up on par or close to it. Uh, it is sola scriptura, the Bible alone and only the Bible alone. And there's so much in the scriptures that we could spend our lives going through what the Bible has to say and we don't have to add anything to it. And the Bible deals with every issue that we deal with spiritually so that you don't have to have someone plead the blood. You don't have to be slain in the spirit to get closer to God or to have God do a spiritual work in your life. The Bible tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, your double-minded. It seems to me that people are not wanting to do the things the Bible tells them to do, and so they end up adding special revelation, finding something, something else to add to it. You need deliverance. Instead of, what does the Bible tell me to do? to be able to overcome whatever struggle it is that I'm facing. All right, so thank you. And if you are joining us for the first time, really glad to have you here. Uh, if you have a question, put a question or question mark in front of it, and then write out your question, but reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, because sometimes I will answer someone's question and it, it's not what they asked. And sometimes it's my fault, but sometimes I, I have to make some assumptions because didn't reread the sentence and restructure it and make sure that it was saying what you want it to say. So we have a question here from Melissa. Melissa, good to have you here with us. Hope you're blessed. Uh, question, are Jews still God's chosen people? Or is it now Christians who have been grafted into the family of Israel? So the Bible does talk about the, that us as the church being grafted into the vine. But then it also says, but don't be prideful about it because God could graft the natural vine back in quickly. Yes, we are God's chosen people. And today you have Jews who become Christians through the Messiah, which came from Judaism, becoming Christians and them being God's chosen people. And God, are, are the Jews still God's chosen people? Yes, in a certain way. And I wanna show you this. I'm gonna go to a passage here in Romans uh, 1125, and listen to what it says here. This is important to understand what God's doing in the world today, because God, once again, Melissa, is bringing the nation of Israel back into the land, is restoring them. And the restoration isn't done. The land was restored, the people are there, Jerusalem is under Israeli control, uh, but God's gonna save the people, yet. They're gonna come back to worship him, because they are his chosen people, and God's gonna bring them to receiving Jesus as their Messiah. That's a future work to be done. And we could go to Old Testament passages to talk about this as well. But look at this one here. Um, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant. This is Romans 11.25 of this mystery. So the Jewish people is a mystery. What God's doing with the Jewish people is a mystery. That's gonna be hard to understand, so it's hard to grasp. Lest we should be wise in our own opinion. And this happens when people cry out, oh, we are Jews, we're the Jews. God's given up his promises to us, we're the Jews. Lest you be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now what's the blindness in part? Because Jews are being saved. There are Messianic Jews who believe Jesus is their Messiah. And so blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in so all Israel will be saved. That's in the future. And notice the word all. So all Israel will be saved. God's gonna pour out a spirit of mercy and grace on Jerusalem, Zechariah 12, 10. 
and they're going to mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son when they look upon me, God said, whom they pierced in Jerusalem. When did, when, when, when was God pierced in Jerusalem? When they, they, they stuck a sword into his side and they're going to mourn and weep for him when they are all saved. So all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. So ungodliness is going to be turned away from Jacob. The end of the restoration that we're talking about here in uh, in Romans 11 and the Jews, the end of the restoration of the land, the people to the land, the Jews to Jerusalem, the end of that is them coming to Christ and now living for him. And remember the word Christ is Messiah. So that's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So when we say they're coming to Christ, then they are going to become Christians. And even though many Messianic Jews don't like the term because of historical Christianity uh, and their persecution, Remember, Jews persecuted Christians in the early days, but it's your Messiah. We are like Christ. We are like the Messiah. We, we're we're Judeo-Christians. And so we are to live our lives for him, knowing that God is bringing Israel back to himself. And I'll show you a couple more passages that really help us to understand that in the last days, God is going to be dealing with the nation of Israel. This is uh, Jeremiah 37. It's a good one to have memorized when it comes to the end of days. And uh, look at, listen to what it says here. So let's talk about the tribulation period. It says, in, in this is Jeremiah 37, alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. That's the tribulation period. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the time of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, Israel's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. And, and it goes on to talk about, you know, um, uh, uh, the nation of Israel and what God's going to do. But it is a great day, but, but Israel's going to be saved out of it. And you find these passages throughout the Bible. I had quoted Zechariah. Let me go ahead and put that up here as well, uh, because I want you to see this. This is such a great passage, Zechariah 12.10. And I got it highlighted in my Bible. I, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Now, this is God speaking. You can go back to the context and look, and God speaking. So this is a deity passage, and they will, uh, a Jesus deity passage. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for the firstborn. And in that day, there will be great mourning. So they will mourn when they come to Christ and realize they haven't been following their Messiah. They haven't been following their Messiah. They'll, they'll mourn for him. Um, but God is not done with the nation of Israel. God has, the church has not replaced them. And this is replacement theology is just not true. It is massively unbiblical. And it came, the replacement theology started when the, when the church, when Israel didn't exist and looked like it would never exist because the land was completely desolate. But God kept his promises. Imagine replacement theology says that God now is going to keep the promises to Israel by keeping them through the church. Imagine what kind of person would do that. Make a promise to a person and then say, the person that I made the promise to doesn't matter. The promise matters. I'm going to keep my promise, but I'm going to make it to a different person. 
If I promise to pay one bank for my truck and I go and pay another bank, I can't claim I paid my truck because I made a note with one bank and it would be immoral and you make God immoral by making him not keep his promise to Israel. And God will always keep his promise uh, uh, to, to all of us. If God doesn't keep his promise to Israel, if God says, I'm going to not keep my promise to Israel, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill it through the church, then how do you know God won't replace us? And that God won't keep his promises with us? That he'll find some loophole to say, I'm not going to give it to you who believe, but I'm going to give it to someone else. You can't do that. You, you can do it to God, you, you do it, but you malign God in doing that. All right, Melissa, hopefully that answers your question. If uh, you're not clear, you can ask a follow-up. Um, no problem, all right? So um, appreciate you guys. And as I said, if you have a question, then write the word question in front of it, write out your question, reread it a couple of times, all right? So um, we have a question from Shana, Shana, Shana. <clears throat> Shana says, what Cain Eves? What's Cain Eves? Ah. Uh, first son of Satan's son. Okay, so this is the teaching that it's called the serpent seed doctrine, that the, that the fruit in the garden was sex, and that Eve had sex with Satan and produced Cain. Okay, um, and it is massively unbiblical. It is a doctrine that was taught by um, William Branham, who really was a false prophet and, and, and the leader of a cult, he began to deny the Trinity. Uh, she says, my dad started watching Dr. Gene Kim, who alluded to, um, that Eve and Satan were physical. My dad believes this. This question is for him to hear. All right, thank you, uh, Shana. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. If your dad's going to hear this uh, answer and uh, and go from there. Yeah, the serpent seed doctrine is a false doctrine that cults have used over the years. And this is really important. Uh, we have the history of what we have, we have the history of what the church believed, and we have it laid down for us in the first few hundred years. And we've got the main parts of what the gospel says. And then there have been offshoots of false teachings that have broken away from it and end up being cut off and broken away. The serpent seed doctrine is a false doctrine that has made its way back up in church again and again. And even if you go back and try to read that into the text, and, and this is really important, um, Shanna, is it Shanna, Shanna, Shanna? Uh, it's really important. Let's just go back to the text. Let's just say that the fruit is, that the fruit is sex. So um, Satan says to her, uh, let's, just, let's just go there and read it. Um, that'd be the best way to look at this and to try to see if it fits with what the text is saying or if this has been imposed on the text. And remember, imposing something on the text is to do violence to the text. And that's not, that's not my word, that's theologians' words, okay? When you impose something on the text, you end up doing violence to the text and it ends up meaning nothing about what it means. So let's just go ahead and take a look here. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which God had made and said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So now the fruit of the tree of the garden is sex. So he's saying, is God saying that you shall not have sex with everybody? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, so we can have sex with anybody. 
but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So now she's saying she can have, she can eat of the fruit. If the fruit is sex, then she can have sex with all of the trees that are in the garden, but she can't have sex with the tree that's in the middle of the garden, which in that, this case would be Satan. So this is, this is the violence that's done to a text when you impose something on it that isn't in the text. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So now having sex with Satan has opened her eyes so that she would know good from evil. And, the, and uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so good for food is somehow sex, um, pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and, and ate it and she also gave it to her husband. So now her husband also had sex with Satan. Because if she eating the fruit is the serpent seed, now Adam had sex with, with Eve, right? Um, and he ate, then their eyes were both opened. So now he's having his eyes opened by a carnal relationship with the serpent, even as Eve did. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves covering, coverings. So it can't be the serpent seed. It doesn't make any sense. You can't say the fruit means one thing to the tree in the middle of the garden, but doesn't mean it to all of the trees that are in the garden. This is the way that we keep ourselves on the right path, and we don't end up believing something that is massively wrong by making sure that we go back and look at the text and see if that can be applied. So, no, the serpent seed is a false doctrine. It is a particularly hideous false doctrine. And it's, it's been embraced by cults uh, throughout the years and will continue to be embraced by cults. And as I said, um, William Branham was one of the first ones, if you want to look up the Brahmanites, William Branham was one of the first ones to teach this serpent seed doctrine. So I hope that's helpful. And I would run from this guy, all right, who, what was his name here, uh, Gene Kim. I would get away from him as fast as I could because he doesn't handle the word of God well. There's no way that you can go back and you can read that passage, and and if he does that to that passage, what else is he doing to other passages? And to her dad, I don't know what her dad's name is, but to her dad, I would say, your loyalty needs to be to God and his word, and not to any teacher. And so if a teacher teaches something that is not biblical, you don't wanna receive it, because you have the responsibility to not be deceived. Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. That means you have that responsibility. I can't take responsibility for you being deceived. Only you can. So if you allow yourself to be deceived and you say, well, I would never be deceived. And maybe you would say that. But the Bible talks about self-deception and it talks about sin being deception. And in Galatians chapter five, one of the fruits of the spirit is, oh, excuse me, one of the, um, one of the, lust of the flesh is heresy. So teaching heresy is one of the lusts of the flesh. So it's a sinful thing to believe a heresy. And so if you are offended because I say this guy is teaching something that is not right and you should get away from him, then does your loyalty lie with him or with God? If I start teaching something that is massively unbiblical, then you should stop listening to me. It, if, if I'm, if I'm, doing, as, as I showed, violence to the text as this guy is and start teaching things that are obviously not Christian. All right, so thank you very much for joining us and for getting that question for your dad. I appreciate that. I hope this helps 
And um, may God open his eyes. May he be led by the Spirit. May we all turn away from every false doctrine and believe only those things that are true. All right? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, we have a question from Long Story. Long Story says, it looks like Matthew and Acts, Luke, right, disagree on how Judas, uh, Judas died. Did Judas fall or hang himself? Who brought, who bought the foreigner's plot, potter's land before uh, tonight's teaching? Thank you very much. Yes, I, I'm teaching on this tonight. And so let's go ahead and go to the book of Acts. Now, we know that Matthew and Mark talk about Judas hanging himself. I don't believe Luke does, but Matthew and Mark definitely do. And then Acts, it seems like he gives a different account of the death of, of the death of Judas. And this is found, I'm going to say verse 18. Oh, I'm going to uh, chapter 1. I think it's in Brown, verse 18. Yeah, verse 18. All right, so let me go ahead and pull this up on the screen for you. It says, um, let's just go ahead and go through this. Uh, so he's talking about replacing Judas. That's what this whole passage is. They're going to talk about replacing Judas. And we're teaching on this tonight. We're talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit because the last thing these guys do before they receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is to make a decision and they make it in a poor way. I'm not saying Matthias wasn't God's choice. If God chose Matthias, okay, but it's not a good way to make decisions. So he's talking about Judas now and replacing him. He says, now this man purchased a field. Now, it doesn't mean Judas took the money and bought the field. It means that the money that Judas threw back into the temple was collected and a field was bought. And it was bought in the name of Judas. So this man bought a field by throwing the, blood, the money into the temple, them buying a field for Judas. So it doesn't mean Judas bought it, that he took the money and purchased a field. It means that the money that was his bought a field in his name. Now, this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed, gushed out. Now, a lot of people believe that this is a discrepancy in the Bible, because you have Judas hanging himself, and then you have this account. However, they are not mutually exclusive. This is really important when you're looking at what could be a discrepancy as to whether or not it generally is a discrepancy. And that is, is there any way that he could have hung himself and fell headlong and had his guts burst open? He could have hung himself, been there during the Sabbath, or Sabbath, some believe that Jesus was crucified on a Thursday, that Friday was a Passover Sabbath and Saturday was a regular Sabbath. So you had, Jesus could have been in the, in the grave three days and three nights with that. And if that's the case, he would have been up there for two days, but even one day is enough to blow. Years ago, I, um, I shot a deer, uh, I, I used to archery hunt. So years ago, I shot a deer and um, went to, to clean the deer and didn't have my knife with me. And so I was about a half hour away from um, my friend's house. This is in uh, New Mexico. It was a ranch that he was at there. So I went to Rick's house and I, I, he went with me back to clean the deer. He was going to help me clean the deer. So we went back and the deer was already bloated. In just say an hour, maybe not even an hour, hour and a half, at the longest, the deer was bloated. So he's hanging on this tree and he bloats and the rope breaks, the tree branch breaks. This is not unthinkable. The weight of a man 
heavy for a branch. And so it's not unknown that it's not a possibility. In fact, it's, I would say a probability, it could happen that a branch could break. And so then he would fall headlong. Notice it doesn't say that he jumped off. It says he fell. It says he, and, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed out. So it doesn't say that he jumped. It says falling headlong, which would go along with the rope breaking and the branch breaking and his guts being spilled out. It seemed that Peter's giving an explanation here for the guts of, of uh, Judas being spilled out, which is an interesting thing for him to do. It's just like a guy, right? A guy with the guts popped, the stomach broken. It seems like he's emphasizing that where the others are emphasizing the fact that he hung himself, where the Bible says anyone who hangs himself is cursed on a tree. And he wants to point out that his guts burst open. This was, this was his fate. And so he talks about him falling headlong and that everyone would have known that he hung himself so he wouldn't have to say to these 120 people that are in the upper room with him at this point that he hung himself, they would know that. But this man purchased a field. Again, he didn't purchase it. Someone purchased it in his name with the wages of iniquity. It was that money that was used and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his entrails gushed out. So that would not be a contradiction. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is what happened. And again, he wouldn't say hung himself. He didn't necessarily have to say hung himself because everybody would know that he did hang himself because he's with 120 people in the upper room where this is given. All right, long story. If you have uh, any other questions about that, go ahead, feel free to ask a follow through, follow up. However, we only have three minutes, so I may not be able to get to it. All right, uh, good, uh, good Q&A today, good questions. Uh, I hope that uh, the Lord really uses these to really speak to you, encourage you, and challenge you. Uh, if you have a quick question, you wanna write it in, um, you, so, uh, let's see. So uh, Shana says, um, you are saying it correctly. Thank you for answering. I hope he uh, he receives this. Yes, me too. I hope so as well. Um, I think it's important for us to make sure that we hold on to the truth and that we are not deceived. And I, I really do hope so, Shana. And um, hopefully covering that with him is going to really help. All right. So we've come to the end of our Q&A today. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I hope that you truly are blessed. Um, and the um, accident that I was in, uh, the, a car came, a truck coming at us came across the yellow line all of a sudden. And there were two of us, uh, trucks and, and boats that were coming back from our fishing trip in Mexico. And as we were pulling our boats, then the, the truck came over and hit the one boat in front of me and really demolished it, made it total it and then debris flew at us a tire hit our our truck and um i had no idea that my boat had been hidden hit and i got out we ran up and checked on our buddies and then we ran back to check on people behind us because after it hit the boat it ran into a car headlong head first and that's how much force it had um in this accident so it hit two boats totaled them and then hit a car head on and um, I ran back to check on the guy, saw he was okay. He was trying to get out of his car, but he was okay. And I, I turned around, I walked, and I looked at a trailer there and I knew that Mike's, uh, that my buddy's uh, truck had been hit. Or, and I thought it was a truck, but I said, is that Mike's trailer? And then one of my buddy, Mike Shackard says, no, that's your trailer and your boat's over there. And I look over on the side of the road and there's my boat um, down on the, on the edge. I mean, on, on a precipice sideways um, where it flew over the rail. 
And um, so I, I just look at that and I think, you know, God's hands, I mean, maybe I'm, you know, reading something that's not there, but how does a truck come over, miss the truck, hit the boat, miss the next truck, hit the boat, and then hit the car behind us? So that we now are driving from that spot five hours later, we're driving from that spot with two trucks that were not hit. The mirror was broken on one of them by the trailer. The truck that hit us was pulling a trailer. The mirror was was broken. Um, but, you know, as, as far as I know, now I'm not sure that my boat's total. I can't imagine that they can possibly fix it because it was so tore up. But, um, you know, you walk away from something like that feeling like, I wonder if there's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And uh, God's, you know, guardian angel is going, eh, I think I'll go ahead and take care of things. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you at the end of our, um, of our uh, Q&A today. It's good to see you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in the word of God. Don't allow anything that's taught, that's new to come in because we don't want to be deceived. And it's only by staying in the word of God that we keep ourselves from being deceived. All right. So God bless you guys. Love you. Thanks for joining us. I'm out. We'll see you. Um, Lord willing, we'll have another Q&A on Wednesday. And um, if you have a question you would like us to answer at the beginning of that, then you can do like Jari's been doing and go to Calvary Tucson with Robert Furrow's YouTube page. Go to any video they all go into one place that are unanswered. So go to any video and you can say a question for the Q&A and then write out your question and I'll consider it um, as one of our first questions. And I'll add it in to my list for when we don't have enough questions, I will answer it later on, all right? Uh, this is also a supplement to the teaching ministry of Calvary Tucson. So if you have a question, like we talked about what's coming up tonight, if you have a question, about um, what the Bible has to say about the, uh, the studies we've been doing at the church, then we can answer them here with you, all right? So again, love you guys. I'm out. I will see you later on.